I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nothing says home more than family and friends around the table, especially when the food is from Fairway. High-quality, hand-cut meats, fresh produce, and affordable pricing. Be sure you're ready for family by stocking up on everything from the best possible source. Refreshingly Fairway. throat today a little congested my apologies uh welcome to the hawkeye nation podcast feed we are trying something new today and by we i mean me uh this is rob howe publisher of hawkeye and uh tweeted out yesterday posted it on our message boards that i was going to try a mailbag podcast um get questions either on our message boards or through social media here and there I figured this would be might be a, a better way to just kind of compile those a week into a weekly podcast. I know podcasts are the thing to do now. Trust me, when I went to journalism school and thought of myself being in newspapers my whole life, I never thought I would be on the other end of a microphone as frequently as I am these days, but here we are. So let's get to it. Um, you, you get, I got I, I received quite a few different questions via the uh, Twitter and on our message board. Some of them overlap. Also, <clears throat> I have a few folks that asked you know multiple questions, four or five, whatever, and I appreciate that. And I may be able to get to those as we move forward here, week to week. Uh, but I'm going to try to keep this you know, around a half hour at most. After that, I think podcasts start to get a little bit uh, long-winded and people start to lose interest. So if I can hit that 30-minute mark, that's good for a commute uh, or a workout or something like that. If, if you work out like I do, uh, 10 minutes would probably be good or five minutes. <laughs> if you've seen me, you know I am not in top-notch shape. Um, but I'm going to start on Twitter because that's where I, um, that's where I first posed the idea of uh, this idea, I should say for this podcast, uh, yesterday, which would have been, which would have been Tuesday. I'm recording this on Wednesday, February something. What is today's date? Today is February the 12th and I am recording this, uh, at around 11 
10 a.m. Central Time. A um, couple plugs here. I would recommend all the podcasts on our feed, the, the HN podcast that I do with Andrew Downs, the basketball podcast that I, I record with Greg Bruner. Uh, we have a Hawkeye history podcast that's kind of fallen by the wayside recently, but I will restart. Uh, the recruiting podcast, the prospect podcast, which I will kick up more now uh, as basketball starts to wind down and I have more time. And we'll, we'll come up with our other ideas too. We're, we'll, we will have a football podcast again. Um, I, I did that last season periodically with Colin Cole. Our schedules didn't exactly line up. Um, so gonna go, going to go in a different direction there. Uh, I'm not sure where yet. Um, I'm open to ideas on that if you guys want to shoot them to me. But I have some in my head that I will not share now until I reach out to these guys and see if they are interested. Um, but let's go to the questions on Twitter. I did ask for a hashtag, um, but I will go to, uh, let's see here. I will go to my original tweet and just read off of there. Um, and the first one in who was quickly in was Jeff Myers, uh, just Jeff again on Twitter. And his question is, are you concerned about next, about next year's team if both Garza and Wieskamp jump to the NBA? <laughs> yes, I would be. Uh, certainly there would be some concern there. Uh, he said, uh, Jeff wrote, is it a 10-win team, question mark? I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, there's still quite a bit of talent returning on this team when you look at Connor McCaffrey, uh, Jordan Bohannon, Jack Nunji. Uh, C.J. Frederick, uh, Patrick McCaffrey hopefully coming back. Uh, plenty of talent on the team. Obviously, if you lose Garza and Wieskamp, um, that's a huge deal. They're, you know, among the best tandems in the country, one-two punches in the country uh, this season. So that would be a huge hit. Um, let's see what happens. I think they'll both test out the NBA draft process, and they should. Uh, Joe did it last year, got his feedback, came back to school, and I think is better for it. Uh, Luca is a different animal here. He's This is his third season in the program. He's had a breakout year, chance he could win national player of the year, most likely the Big Ten player of the year. What does he have to come back and prove? Is he an NBA player? There, I saw a, a couple of those questions, and I will get to that. Um, but he could also make a lot of money overseas. And I don't think this is a decision that has been made yet. I think it's, you know, time will tell. I, I believe this a hundred percent that both Joe and Luca are focused completely on this season and this team. They will think about the professional stuff after the season. It's easy for us as fans and media to think about it now and project and kind of have fun with, what the team will look like next year. These guys are 100% focused on this year's team, and that's why they've done so well. That's why they're in the hunt for a Big Ten championship. It's going to take some work, obviously. The the double bye, they're in the hunt for that. That obviously is going to take some work. Uh, but the, the one of the components of this team that makes it successful is the focus, and I don't think either of those guys are off track in that regards right now. Uh, 
Woodshed, Iowa, Samet Hawk. Uh, what are reasonable expectations for Spencer Petrus? I feel like sky is the limit if BF turns his offense, gets to run his offense like he did against USC. Fair points, Woodshed. Um, for those that don't know, Spencer Petrus is the heir apparent to Nate Stanley at quarterback. Uh, he will be a redshirt sophomore from Northern California, has apprenticed here. This will be his third spring in the, in the program. He enrolled early. Um, I was a little surprised when Coach Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, came out in January and basically said this is Petrus's job to lose. In the past, he's been more, um, I don't want to say open-minded or evasive, but he's, he's when these co- quarterback – competitions have come up when uh, the, you know, the previous year's starter has left. Kirk has been more that it's a wide open competition. I didn't sense that at all. It sounds like Petrus is the leader in the clubhouse by quite a bit. Uh, and that, you know, he beat out uh, Peyton Manziel last season uh, and Peyton had been in the program longer and Spencer was younger. And that said something to me there. And, and I, and I wrote this today. And if you get a chance, here's another shameless plug. I wrote uh, my position-by-position outlook for 2020 2.0. I I ran the 1.0 in early December. We've obviously had a lot of changes uh, on the roster. I say a lot, but a a number of changes. Obviously, Epinesa and Worf, Stone, and um, Torrin Young leaving for the NFL, Coy Cron coming in, what have you. I won't go through the entire piece that I wrote, but check that out on HawkeyeNation.com. I go position-by-position where things stand now. Uh, but in to answer to Woodshed's question, I, it's hard to say that Spencer Peters is just going to come in here and be lights out. It would be great if he was, but he really has no game experience whatsoever in an offense that's pretty intricate. So I would expect some growing pains from him. In terms of skill set, he can make all the throws. Uh, he's a big kid like Nate Stanley. Um, you hope, as you said, Woodshed, that Brian Ferentz's offense is evolving and he's getting more comfortable in play calling and in turn that helps Petrus with his growth and I think it will but it's hard to say what reasonable expectations are because (laughs) most expectations from the outside are often unreasonable but I think he's going to have a solid sophomore season first year as a starter he's going to make mistakes you just hope that with a relatively experienced offensive line, Tyler Linderbaum at center with another year under his belt to help break Spencer in. And, you know, Alaric Jackson at left tackle helps. You've got potentially the most talented group of receivers returning in the 21 will be 22 years of Kirk Ferentz as a group. So at the tight ends, I think will be better. You got Goodson at running back. Yes, you you lose Torin Young, but you've got at least to this point you still have Makai Sargent and Ivory Kelly Martin. He has a ton of experience around him, probably more experience than most quarterbacks that have started at Iowa, you know, in their first season. So he's got a talent around him to do pretty well. Tough schedule. We'll know a lot more after we see how he looks at Penn State and at Ohio State in back-to-back road games. But I have high hopes for Spencer Peters, but I'm trying to keep my expectations within reason for a first-year starter in the Big Ten. Um, Justin K., Irish exit guy on Twitter. 
I've seen it mentioned both nationally and locally that this Iowa team has the makeup for a deep run in March. He's obviously talking about basketball. What are the components they have in place that draw those types of comments? Well, Justin, I think two, well, I touched on it earlier in the podcast. I think the mental makeup, and that's hard to quantify. Uh, it's hard to coach, uh, measure, quantify, whatever, what have you. But when you're around the team enough and you watch the team throughout to this point of the season where there are whatever, seven games left in the regular season, you see a team that's mentally strong, that bounces back from tough losses, that has handled adversity. Uh, on and off the court, and really has come through well. Uh, can it make a, a deep run in the NCAA tournament? That's so hard to pinpoint at this point on, on February 12th because you don't know what the NCAA draw is. A lot of it comes to the draw, where they'll be seated, where the, where the games are played, uh, and who, most importantly, who the opponents are and how Iowa matches up. I think in addition to the mental makeup and the resiliency of this team, the things that I look to are you have a dominant post player in a, in a, you know, in an era where there aren't a lot of those, there there are quite a few in the big 10 proportionally, but overall uh, nationally basketball is going to more of an outside three point shooting game. And there aren't as many, um, dominant post players. And Luca Garza Garza is unique in that way. We've seen now through how, however many games, you know, 25 games, whatever it is, teams have thrown everything they can throw at him and he still gets his. So it's hard to imagine, not impossible that they get into the tournament. He has a bad game and they lose. Certainly possible. You just never know. But so far you have to have a lot of confidence in that he's going to going to be a given when they play. And then on top of that, you have two really excellent three-point shooters in Joe Wieskamp and C.J. Frederick to keep the the floor spread and spacing so Luka can operate. And then you have a kind of a junkyard dog in Connor McCaffrey who does whatever's needed and understands the offense and defense and what the the system is inside and out with his dad being the coach. And you have a really good on-ball defender in Joe Toussaint. He's still going through growing pains as a true freshman, but his defense, if you pay attention, game to game is getting better. He's getting more confident, more disruptive. There just are a lot of components to this team that with the right draw, the right seeding, the right matchups, we've see, we see it every year that this team could possibly make a run What's going to be important is how they finish this regular season and get a good seed. You don't want to get in that 8-9 seed. Even a 7 seed makes it really difficult because you're playing, you know, in those seedings, you're playing a 1 or a 2, usually close to their campus, uh, most likely. So you really want to get at least to the 6 line. 5 and 4 would would be even better. I've been saying that if Iowa can get to the double bye at the Big Ten Tournament, win a game, make it to the semis of the Big Ten tournament, it's going to be well positioned for a seed, just the strength of this conference, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Mark Duff had, has had several questions here, and, and a few of his questions uh, overlap some other questions that you guys have sent me. Um, how is the recovery going for Nunji and Bohannon? A few of you guys have asked this. Uh, Mark Duff, Dial54 on Twitter. 
as far as I know, going very well on schedule or ahead of schedule. I think both of those guys will be ready for late spring, summer workouts and should be good to go heading back into uh, next fall and, and, you know, training and all that stuff. They should be fine I don't, unless there's a setback between now and then. Bohannon was out shooting the other night. I watched both of those guys, um, you know, before games, walking around, things like that. They look fine. Obviously, they're not in basketball shape or, or they're, they're still recovering, so they can't be on the court. But I think from the people I've talked to, and I haven't had a chance to talk to them yet, and hopefully we will before the end of the season. But from what I've heard, things are progressing nicely and on track to be back next season. And we'll probably touch on those two again later uh, when we talk about outlook for next year. Uh, Mark Duff also, and, and a few other of you guys have asked this question as well, updates on the basketball recruits. Uh, he's talking about the 2020 class that signed in November. And that is a, let's see, I believe that is a five-man class, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, it's a big class, and that kind of leads into, you know, I'll, I'm going to address the 2021 class in a minute and what I was looking at there. But there are, there's not going to be a lot of room in that class, most likely. Uh, there's not a lot of information out there for what these – let me first say this. Aaron Eulis – Tony Perkins, Chris and Keegan Murray, Chris and Keegan Murray, excuse me, Josh Ogundele, uh, are the that's the five some that's coming in in the 2020 class. Will be here uh, in the summer. They're all having really good years, and you know you just have to keep perspective of that. What's the competition like? Uh, what are their roles on their teams? You look at Keegan and, and, and Chris Murray; they're down at prep school. Uh, having already graduated from Cedar Rapids Prairie. So that's a whole different ball game compared to what, you know, Tony Perkins and Aaron Eulis are playing regular high school basketball in Chicago and Indianapolis, respectively. Both guys having tremendous years, particularly Tony Perkins, who by all accounts is in the running for Indiana Mr. Basketball, which is, I mean, that kind of speaks for itself when you think about the high school basketball that's played in Indiana. Uh, and Josh Ogundali plays in a prep school in Massachusetts, which, but in a league, which is a little bit different than what Keegan and Chris Murray are playing in. So all of these guys are at different levels competing against different competition, but all by all accounts, they're all having really good seasons. And I guess time will tell what we'll get out of them when they get here. Um, and a lot will de depend on roster makeup. We talked at the beginning of the podcast about Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp. There's does one leave? Does, do both of them leave? Do both of them come back? And that all affects how, how does Jordan Bohannon come back from injury? How does Jack Nunji come back from injury? Uh, you know, are there other defections from the, from the roster? You just never know. So it's hard to, to completely predict what's going to go on. I will say overall, Mark, if you look at this class, I think it's outperforming its star ranking maybe pedigree, if you want to use that term, uh, based on they all have upped their game this winter and are playing at a higher level than maybe they were before signing day. So that's a good sign for Iowa. And another example of Fran, recruit, Fran McCaffrey and his staff, uh, its ability to um, identify talent because, 
you have to be able to do that. We see that with football well as well on the recruiting trail. You have to have an eye for talent and then bring that talent and, and develop it. And we see that with Luca Garza. I mean, yeah, he was a highly regarded recruit, but nobody saw this. C.J. Frederick, again, a guy that redshirted last year and really has taken off this year, a guy that this staff identified as fitting in. And I think all of these, the, the five guys that are coming in all seem like good fits within the program. And that's, as we've seen in football, super important. Don Wester on Twitter, does Garza have a spot in the new NBA? Any indication he will leave early? I've heard his dad say that he's coming back, but I just don't think that decision has been made yet because you have to go through the process. I don't say you have to, but it's smart to just to see what's out there. If anything, even if your intention is to come back 99%, go through the draft process, work out with NBA teams, receive that feedback from them. And then if you come back, you have more knowledge of what you need to do to get to the next level. Um, And I think that's worked for Joe Wieskamp. It worked for Peter Jock. It worked for Tyler Cook. Um, I think they all benefited from going through that process. And then once you're, you are in that process, what is the feedback? Maybe Luca goes, works out for a couple of teams and they're like, man, we could use this kid in our roster now. And he gets a really good grade or gets feedback. And he, you know, he was, he was thinking, Hey, I'm going to come back for my senior season. I'm not ready yet. All of a sudden he's being told he is ready or, uh, you know, a, a franchise or an organization from overseas says, Hey, We'll give you, you know, X amount of millions a year to come over and be the face of our franchise. You know, it's, it's just too early to, to predict if he will leave. I think we just need – it's a fluid situation, and we need to let this process play out. As far as does he have a spot in the NBA, man, I've waffled back and forth on this because there's that, you know, that, that piece in my brain that says you have to be – a superior athlete to play in the NBA. You have to be, you know, jump out of the gym fast. Lucas defied all that this year. And granted, it's a different level at college basketball, but I would not bet against this kid. I think the way he works, he'll find a place, he'll find a spot in the NBA. I could be totally off on that. I'm not as big an NBA fan as I used to be, but I think there is a, a place for, a skilled 6'11", you know, highly uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, skilled, I think. I mean, his ability to do things that defy logic and athleticism night in and night out really give me – really encourage me that he is going to be able to play in the NBA. He can hit three-pointers. He has a face-up game. He's really crafty around the basket. I'm not saying he's going to go in and be a starter, an all-star, but to think that this guy can't give a, a team really solid minutes off the bench, I think is, is I don't know. I think you're, I, I think you're selling him short. I, th- I think he has that ability, and time will tell, but that's just my take on it. Okay, what a reasonable – this is Travis Albers. Uh, Travis underscore Albers on Twitter. What should reasonable fan expectations be for the men's basketball team in the NCAA tournament? Again, I am not going to um, try to predict what others 
and I get the question. I'm not trying to be a wise ass. Um, it, it depends on the individual, what your expectation should be. I really believe that I don't tell fans or other media people what they should expect or what they should, you know, what, what's failure and, and what's success. That's up to each individual to, to decide. There are obviously narratives and, and group thought on what that should be. I think we'd all agree that outside of the Iowa locker room, this team has already exceeded our, our expectations coming into this year. When you think about Tyler Cook, Isaiah Moss, Nicholas Bayer, Macy Daly, all leaving from last year's team and, and Jordan Bohannon and Jack Nungy being out early in the season um, or knowing they were going to be out earlier in the season. And then Patrick McCaffrey being out. All of those things considered, it's pretty amazing what they've done. And I think Fran has a, certainly has a strong case for being the coach of the year in the league. And I think this is his best coaching year in the decade that he's been here. And what's reasonable, again, I go back to what I said earlier in the pod. It's going to depend a lot on where Iowa shows up in the tournament. What, do they, what does Iowa do in its last seven games to determine its seed? And then the Big Ten tournament on top of that, where will it fit in the NCAA tournament? And it's a wild season, too, all over the country. It's really hard to slot where these teams are going to be. I believe I looked this morning. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday the 12th in the morning, uh, late morning. I think Iowa is 26th in the net. But if you look at last weekend, I believe it was, the NCAA released who would be a top four seed. And one of the people that are on that committee was asked where Iowa or the teams that were just off that four line. And Iowa was mentioned in there. So Iowa has a, is in position here to get in that, get on the four and five line with a strong finish. And once, if they were, if it was able to do that, then that makes things very interesting because there's a chance you could play. I think, I believe Omaha is a first round location in St. Louis. Maybe I could have that off. I don't have the tournament in front of me, but if Iowa could play close to home against a team that it matches up well against, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is a year for the, for a Sweet 16 for the first time in 20-some years or whatever it's been since Dr. Tom was here. But hard for me to predict or say what people should expect. Uh, let's see how it plays out. Uh, let's see how this regular season plays out. Indiana tomorrow night uh, is huge, and then they come back and play a noon game at Minnesota on Sunday. be nice if they can get at least one of these games. If they can get two, all the better. But uh, – a lot of tough games left. Penn State on the schedule still, even though that's home. Michigan State at Illinois. It's a tough stretch. Let's see how this thing plays out. Okay, another question from Travis. What Iowa recruits do you expect to make an impact or play their first year? Do any lose their redshirts and play in more than four games this fall? It's really early to predict that. Travis, I will take a shot at it here. Let me look up Iowa's recruiting class from this past year. And to refresh my old mind. Um, and it's hard to predict because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I don't think I would have predicted. Um, um, why is his name escaping me now? Uh, Jack Campbell, I think, was one of the freshmen that played more than four games. 
Goodson, that one maybe you could have seen. Sam Laporta was probably a long shot to burn his red shirt last year. If I was sitting, you know, February 2019 trying to predict, it would have been difficult to do so. I certainly think Tory Taylor, the punter from Australia, has a decent chance. They're not bringing him in here from halfway across the world if they don't think he has a chance to win this job. We'll see how Ryan Gersandi, um rebounds from his ACL. And then you have um, Nick Phelps, the, the transfer from North Dakota State, also in the mix. But obviously punting is a – we saw that the two years prior to this one um, that uh, punting can hurt you. And you have to have uh, a steady guy back there. Michael Sleep Dalton certainly filled that role this past season, and Iowa will be looking to do that again. And I think you have to put Tory Taylor in that mix – I think Dante, Deontay Craig, the defensive end out of Fort Wayne, has a possibility. You look, Travis, Travis, when you're trying to predict this ahead, at positionally where there may be the most openings. And I think defensive line may be that position. And But on the other side of that, it's really hard. And I've talked to Chris Doyle and, and Coach Ferentz about this before. It's really – the closer you get to the ball, meaning where you play on offense and defense – is harder to break through initially because of strength and conditioning and where you are physically. Deontay Craig's a really good athlete, and I think you might be able to sprinkle him in there, whether or not they want to burn a red shirt. I think now with this four-game rule, you really can get a good look at these guys at different points of the season, maybe initially to get an idea if it's a position that you really need help at, and then just kind of as a – because you look at, at Sam Laporta, he didn't catch his first pass until Northwestern. That was week eight. So a guy that may not look like he's going to play in the first half of the season, you just never know how things are going to progress through practice, needs, things like that. But I would say Taylor, Craig, uh, the tight ends, Lucas Lachey, Elijah Yelverton, Yelverton uh, enrolled in January and is here. We'll go through spring practice. So – Highly regarded guy who I think has a chance. Uh, you look at LaShawn Williams and Gavin Williams at running back with um, Torrin Young leaving. Uh, we saw that's a position where Iowa is not afraid to play young guys and, and almost they usually do play true freshmen at running back. Uh, and Gavin Williams, like Yelverton, is enrolled in January, so there's a good chance he will get a head up on, uh, you know, on, on learning the playbook. I think Logan Jones is another guy defensive linemen at a council bluffs they're very high on um perhaps defensive back but that position is just so loaded right now with guys coming back at least at this point and the competition shows so stiff you wonder if a guy like Reginald Bracey can come in um Dees Fernandez AJ Lawson um I think it's going to be difficult on offensive line and also um, wide receiver to break in this year just because of the depth at those positions. And I would kind of throw the secondary in there, but it's hard to say. It really is. I, I didn't think, like I said, I didn't think we'd see Jack Campbell or Sam Laporta burn red shirts last year and they ended up doing it. So we'll just have to kind of see how that things play, things play out. Uh, last one from Travis Albers. With Iowa baseball media day happening recently, what are the top name fans should be aware of? What are the expectations for this team this year? I'm going to refer, refer you to HawkeyeNation.com for my media day story 
where I list some of the names and there's interviews and Coach Heller talks about uh, this team, uh, the returns of some pitchers like Jack Dreyer. I think that's a key to this team. It's very deep now in pitching where it was shallow last year. I think that's kind of where you, if you're looking at where the most improvement can be made, I think it is on the mound, both in depth in the starting rotation and in the bullpen. But for specific names, give that a look. Um, expectations for this team, I think are, I, I think uh, I've seen predictions, but I did see Baseball America say Iowa could be a surprise team. It was listed among maybe 10 teams on Baseball America as, you know, nationally that could surprise. And I think people are aware of Coach Heller's ability to get the most out of his roster and then some injured pitchers that are returning here and maybe some advancement in the lineup, which featured a lot of younger guys last year. I think inside the locker room, Travis, I think expectations are pretty high. It's a Big Ten championship NCAA tournament. Outside the locker room, I'm going to say probably in the four to six range. Um, But I think this team has a lot of potential and look forward to watching it this spring when it gets warmer and it's not snowing out. Um, Let's see. MB... MB on Twitter. He's got Herky, a Herky as an avatar. He is Balzer Stat. I don't know if that's profane or not, but his question, Tony Perkins is having a hell of a season. What's your thoughts on his ceiling and freshman year contributions? Touched on Tony a little bit earlier. Sounds like he's in the running for Indiana, Mr. Basketball. Um, a lot of potential there. A very high ceiling, very athletic, can shoot the ball well. Um, Maybe reminds me a little bit of C.J. Frederick in, in his all-around game. Uh, defense is obviously the thing at this level that you have to see before believing, and it's the biggest step for these guys to make usually. Um, freshman year contributions, again, I'll, I'll touch on this throughout the podcast because this question's been asked in various ways. It's really hard to project. I think you can pencil in C.J. Frederick, Toussaint, Bohannon, Connor McCaffrey, although Connor can switch and play multiple positions as guys that are going to see minutes in the backcourt next year. Um, You know, so you're talking four deep there. How many minutes are going to be available in that backcourt? And I feel like I'm missing somebody. And if I am, I apologize. My brain is all over the place with questions on recruiting football, basketball, and what have you. Um, But, um, you know, it's going to be a matter of if there are going to be minutes. When we talk about the potential of guys leaving early, it's probably Wieskamp and Garza. And if that's the case, that's probably not going to open up minutes for Tony Perkins. But I like this year that – I don't know if this was injury forced, but Fran's willingness to go more small ball with Connor McCaffrey at the four. So – It'll be interesting to see how the freshman pieces come in and how they can, where they fit. And a lot of it's going to be dependent on, you know, if Garza comes back, if Wieskamp comes back, how Bohannon and Nunji will return from injury. So hard to project with any type of certainty what that roster is going to look like next year, but there should be plenty of options. Uh, Tyler Anderson. What do you see as the floor and ceiling for this Hawkeye men's basketball team? We kind of touched on this a little bit um, throughout this podcast, Tyler. Uh, I think the ceiling is, I don't know. It's, that's a, 
the floor is bottoming out here. You've got four out of seven on the road. And I mentioned some, you know, you're still playing Ohio State, Purdue, and Penn State at home. None of those are layups. And then you've got Indiana, Minnesota, Michigan State, Illinois on the road. That's a really tough finishing seven. I think Ken Palm predicts three and four, which would put Iowa at 11 and nine in the Big Ten. Uh, most likely, or not most likely, that would be a first round buy at least. And then they'd play on Thursday of the Big Ten tournament. And then you see from there where the seedings go. But seedings, excuse me, are so important when it comes to the postseason, whether it be the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament. So it remains to be seen. I, I certainly think this can be a Sweet 16 team. We've seen this team play really good competition this year, tooth and nail. And on any given night and depending on matchups, I think Sweet 16. And then once you get into that, you never know where, where things can go. National championship, I don't know if I'd go that high. And part of that is because of the limited bench. But Elite Eight, hey, I'm not going to pour water on that fire and say no way. Uh, obviously, it would take some, you know, some luck. It would take uh, the dominoes falling in the right way, matchup-wise, seating-wise. Uh, but I think the ceiling is pretty high when you have, the, you know, the national player of the year, potential national player of the year, the Big Ten player of the year, and some really good components around him. In this day and age of college basketball, with one-and-dones and a pretty level playing field, you look at traditionally strong programs like Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, not world beaters this year. It's a pretty wide open field. So kind of see how things play out and how the draws show up. Mark Duff asks, he'd love to hear podcasts with Bohannon Nunji and 2020 basketball recruits. We'll work on that, Mark. Not sure about the podcast with Bohannon and Nunji. And Nunji that may have to wait till after the season. Um, and then he also wants Patrick McCaffrey interview in there. Um, maybe we can do that after the season as well. Sit down, love the Hawks. After what Garza has done this season, who is the bigger NBA prospect? <laughs> I saw this yesterday. Wieskamp or Garza? Nothing like putting me on the spot, anonymous Twitter guy, um, with uh, who is <laughs> That's uh, David Hasselhoff uh, avatar. I should know better. Um, I say oh, a lot. I'm sorry. It's my, that is my uh, bridge sound because it's not really a word. I apologize for that. Uh, when you're talking, did it again. When you're talking to yourself, sometimes you need to have a bridge sound. So Garza or Wieskamp, who is the better NBA prospect? Man, that is a tough one. And I don't know. I really don't. I, I, I didn't really give this as much thought as I probably should have when I initially read your question. I'm going to say Garza, and this is probably recency bias in that his his body of work this season has impressed me so much that I just feel like he's – the thing that concerns me about Joe, and I don't think it's something he can't overcome, is what I talked about earlier in terms of the athleticism at – in the league, at the position he plays, there's no way around. And Joe is athletic, but the athletes that are in the league are so athletic. 
And he's going to have an adjustment period so much to that level of athleticism with guys with a similar skill set that it's going to be a tough road for him. I think he's got an excellent chance of making the league if he gets into the right situation and continues to grow as a player. But he plays the position, you know, that two, three spot where, man, it's just loaded at the next level. So I think Garza is better positioned because his admitted, self-admitted lack of athleticism, I think he can still get away with it in the league because of the position he plays. There are a lot of really great athletes that play up front, but his ability to step away from the basket and then his craftiness near the basket and his understanding of angles and ability to think two and three plays ahead will help him. His knowledge, his high basketball IQ, I'm just going to give him the edge here, and that's no disrespect at all to Wieskamp, who I love and I think is underrated and undervalued because of the season that Luca's having. Um, most other years in the last 20 Wieskamp season would be sticking out and we would be all over praising it, but Luca's overshadowing him a little bit right now. I will lean towards Garza, love the Hawks, but it's pretty close. And I want to, I reserve the right to amend that, that pick later on. That looks like it for the Twitter questions at this point, unless I've missed any, these were, let's see. Nebraska and Iowa fans fighting on my mentions. That's <laughs> that's standard. Uh, I did have a question about Javon Swan. He's a defensive lineman from Stanford who's in the transfer portal. Um, Tyson Crandall asked me this on Twitter, and I answered him on Twitter, but I'll, I'll answer it in the podcast as well. Iowa was really high on his list before he picked Stanford. He is a graduate transfer in the transfer portal, could be immediate fit or immediate, uh, immediately eligible wherever he transfers to. He can really help Iowa. As I said earlier in the podcast, defensive line is a position where Iowa could use a shot in the arm, similar to Coy Crank on the offensive line. And Javon Swan's a really nice athlete. He's an inside guy, but still, he, he would help the defensive line. I reached out to him last month. I, I've lost track of time. It could have been two weeks ago. It could have been a month ago. And he told me he was not talking to the media at the time. I actually went down and saw him play in Indianapolis live uh, before a game Iowa played. It was a Friday night before Iowa played at either Purdue or Indiana. I can't recall now. Really good player. Good kid, good family. I think he would fit in here um, from that standpoint and as a player. But I have to imagine he's got quite a, quite a few suitors for his services. But that's a name I'll throw out there to keep an eye on. Now I will switch over to the Hawkeye Nation message boards for questions. Uh, from one Hawkeye one, what is Patrick McCaffrey's status? I'm beginning to worry that he will never – we will never see him back on the court again. Is that a possibility? One Hawkeye one, that is certainly a possibility when you are a cancer survivor that's trying to find medication that allows you to put on 
weight, edge, strength, and be able to compete at a high level from a stamina standpoint. And that those are the things. Sorry, I got a text message from my son telling me where to pick him up at school today. He sprained his ankle yesterday and he's on crutches. Uh, anyway, I love my son. And he's for um, he's the one that I tweet about uh, that. Um... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Is out uh, protesting and doing the climate change thing. And if you don't like that and you come at me at Twitter, that's fine. And if that makes you not listen to my podcast, that's fine too. I'm proud of my son. Um, so, yes, back to the Patrick McCaffrey question. All of those, and it is a possibility just because of where his health is and what he, the challenges that he faces. I do think from talking to Fran that they're on the right track and it's trending towards him being able to come back and then finding the right, Cocktail, if you will, mix of medication, nutrition, um, conditioning to make to allow him to compete at this level. I think he's going to be going to be back, and maybe that's just me being a glass half full guy. But I don't think I don't think we're anywhere near throwing dirt on Patrick McCaffrey's college basketball career. I think. Most of the parties involved believe he will be back next season. And um, I think it's overrated. It's, his absence this year, I think, is being overlooked. I think he really would have helped this team in a number of ways. And I think at this point, he would have been playing his best basketball. So that was a big hit for Iowa. Not as pronounced as maybe on the outside if, that you look at Jordan Bohannon and Jack Nungy. And those guys were more veteran players than Patrick, but he could have helped this team, needless to say. TK Sirius, HN's love doctor. If you guys aren't on our Hawkeye Nation message boards, you're missing out. I fight with guys, people on there occasionally, and I'm crusty as a 52-year-old, but I do enjoy my, my folks on the Hawkeye Nation message board, some of whom have been around with us for, you know, 20 years or whatever or more back to John's super Hawkeye days. But his question, TK Sirius, the love doctor's question, over under on 24 bench reps, bench reps for Tristan Wirfs at the NFL draft combine. I didn't even know what the record was. There's been, there has been one person and his name escapes me now who's busted 50, but a lot of forties, Tristan Wirfs is a freak. I don't know what he does on the bench press, and that's kind of a specialized lift. I know Iowa does not um, – that's the word I'm looking for. Doesn't emphasize the bench press quite often. It's certainly part of the conditioning program, but not something – I would say that 
the NFL pre-draft um, competitions, no. Exercises, maybe. That they have these prospects do, they emphasize the bench press a lot more than Iowa. I will say that. Having said all that and babbled for a minute or two, Worfs will go over the 24 bench reps. You heard it here first. This guy is going to come up with questions for me. Okay, so on our football board, those are all the questions. Let me go to our basketball board and see what questions we may have. I think we've had more on here. And I'm going to try to wrap this up. This is kind of going longer than I wanted it to. Uh, let's see here. PC Hawk, I don't know anything about the future basketball recruits, not the kids coming in next year, but after that, it would be nice to hear about the kids Fran is on right now. As I said earlier in this podcast, there really aren't, I'm, I don't have, I'll, I'll do this at a, for, a, for a later podcast, but I'm thinking of the scholarship distribution. I don't know if there really are any openings on in 21 should everybody come back. So the 21 class is what I know the best. And beyond that, it's so far out. It's really hard to, um, it's really hard to project how I was going to do in that class. The 21 class, you look at a guy like Dawson Garcia, uh, or no, that's the 20 class. Excuse me. Looking, I get my, uh, get my classes mixed up here. But if you are looking at a guy in the 21 class to keep an eye on most, it would be Peyton Sanford. He is a 6'6 forward out of Waukee, Iowa. He has an offer. He is in the 2021 class. I have a story on him on the site, I believe. I think I've done a story on him. If I haven't, I apologize and will do a story. But he also has offers from Drake, Minnesota, and Utah, and Iowa State's poking around as well, and and the condition of its program, they may jump in with an offer for for him as well. But Iowa is certainly interested in him, and I think if there is a scholarship open, that's the that's the player they would most like to fill it with. Um, they've missed on some other guys in this class. You look at a guy like Luke Good from Fort Wayne, maybe maybe pronounced Goody. I don't know. Um, Trayton Thompson, who visited here in the fall, has committed to Minnesota. Chet Holmgren, a seven-footer out of Minneapolis, is a guy Iowa was in on early. But again, just not sure. Um, Trey Patterson, uh, a power forward out of Franklin Township, New Jersey. These are guys that Iowa's offered that Iowa has had some good feedback from. And those are just a couple names. I'm sure I'm missing other names. But there just aren't a lot of openings in this 21 class. So I will look beyond that for the next podcast for uh, the 22 class, and we can revisit that. Um, But Peyton Sanford is the name, I think, most likely in 21 if there is a scholarship available. And maybe there is, and maybe I just – I haven't done the scholarship count right now in my head and who's coming back and who isn't. But you have five guys coming in next year, and potentially you're only losing – with Bohannon coming back, you're only losing Ryan Creener. So we'll see how those numbers work out. 
All right, back to the mailbag. Let's see. What types of hair products does Frank Garza use? That's from the Love Doctor again. Um, I don't know, but I will ask Fran next time I see him. Has this season's team been the most enjoyable Fran coach team to watch? Again, that's a personal opinion for everybody. Uh, I think there were some fun teams to watch, at least, especially during parts of seasons. Uh, I thought last year's team, you know, coming in overtime, uh, losing in overtime in the round of 32 to Tennessee, a team that almost made the Sweet 16. I thought that team was pretty fun to watch. Personally, yes, this is the most enjoyable Fran team to watch. And I think part of that is we as Iowa people, Iowa fans, Iowa media, we appreciate hard work and guys that bust it, bust their tails night in and night out. And this team is like that. This is a team that's getting the most out of, or seemingly getting the most out of its ability. And I think that's fun to watch. So Stanzi with that question, I appreciate it. Uh, Billy Bob, Billy Bob's Texas. I don't know if that's a barbecue joint or what. How is PMAC doing with his his weight, strength, and conditioning training? I touched on it on that earlier, Billy Bob. Uh, Things are going well with Patrick. I do expect him back next season. Nile Hawk 20 or Nike Hawk 21. One of my guys on, on the message board, active members. Appreciate his contributions. Appreciate everybody's contributions. What do you think is more likely to go? Who, who do you think is more likely to go to the draft out of Garza and Wieskamp? And what do you put the chances of going for each guy at? Speculation here, honestly, I have no idea, Nike. Um, I touched on this earlier in the podcast. I think both guys will go through the draft process, and then it comes back to how they perform, you know, whether they're – how many uh, pre-draft workouts they're invited to, you know, by teams. And then if they're invited to the draft combine, how they perform at those um, workouts. And at the combine, if they're invited, that plays so much into it because there's, th- these pro scouts, like the NFL, they want to get their eyes on on these guys, so to speak, and see what they can do against, you know, put them through certain drills or up against certain in certain situations. But if you're, if I have to answer the question, who do I think is more likely to to Oh, who, who do I think is most likely to stay in the draft? I'd say Garza, just because I think I'm not sure what more he can accomplish, especially if he's national player of the year by coming back next season, how much he'll improve his stock by coming back. He's showing so much this year. Maybe he's better three-point shooter. Um, I, don't, I don't know. You can pick different parts of the game. I won't bog down the podcast with that. But I, I just think he's shown more so far in terms of what he can do and has less to prove than Joe. I think Joe needs to, to be a little bit more consistent, um, have, you know, in terms of not having stretches where we don't see as much from him. And part of that is Luca dominating so much. So it's hard to really evaluate Joe thoroughly with the makeup of this roster, but that would be my guess. 
I don't really know if uh, it's going to come down to how they perform in the postseason workouts, really. That's, that's the best I can give you. I wish I could give you more. I would certainly something will follow through this, you know, through the rest of the season and into the off season. But like I said earlier in the podcast, these guys, I, I would be shocked if they're giving much, if any thought to what's going to happen after the season, they're really locked in on what they want to accomplish this season. And that's the right approach. Motobasan. See, I, I see these names, these screen names on the, on our, our message boards, and I never tried to pronounce them before, but now that I have to, it makes it more difficult. Mo, Motobasan, Motobasan, I don't know. That might be referenced to something that I'm too old to know. Anyway, his question, since this is a recruiting mailbag podcast, and like I said on the message board, this is not a recruiting mailbag, mailbag podcast. I would hope to hear who you think are, are or could be the most likely to commit to the Hawks in football and basketball in the near future. Like, who is a lock? Who's 75%? Who's 50-50? Who's visiting? What are the positions of need? Basically, just keep us up to date. Sounds like he's not satisfied with my recruiting coverage, and I apologize for that. As you guys know, John Miller moved on, and we're starting to bring – we brought Rick Brown on, so he'll be able to take some more, more off my plate. As you can tell, I'm doing more podcasts, less time to dig into recruiting. I am still covering recruiting. We have recruiting stories on the site. I answer questions on the website when asked. And I will try to do a better job of, I'm not big on trying, that's, I know that's like the recruiting site um, MO. What, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. (laughs) I don't try to get into the minds of 16, you know, 13, 14 year old now, how as early as these offers go out and try to predict where they're going to go. It's just so fluid. And there are so many things that play into this. I know it's fun. And I look at the crystal balls and the predictions on rivals and two, four, seven, and, you know, but I take it with a grain of salt. I think you guys should too. And that's not to say these guys aren't knowledgeable. They're putting out there the best information that they have when they make these predictions, but I hesitate to do it just because I, I don't see I don't want to steer people the wrong direction and say, Hey, this guy is going to commit or this guy is 75% or this guy is 90% or whatever. I don't know. And, you know, I could throw it out there based on my conversations, but how do I know what recruit a is telling me compared to what he's telling somebody from two, four, seven or rivals from a different that covers a different team. So I, I just, I think it's an exercise, a futile exercise, but let me play along a little bit. I, I talked about Peyton Sanford in terms of basketball in the 2021 class. I think that's kind of where you want to keep your attention right now. Cause I just, we'll have to see how this roster shakes out after the season. If there are openings for the 2021 class beyond what they have now. So I'm not going to put a lot of energy into that right now until the time comes that there are openings and Fran shows more interest, you know, in recruits in that class. I think he's probably looking farther ahead to, you know, 21 or 22, excuse me, and 23. And I'll get into that more later. In terms of in-state football, Iowa, 
this is the 2020 class, kids that are juniors right now. Iowa currently has seven players committed in its 2021 class. Of those seven, five of them are from in-state. And this, if you're unaware, 2021 in Iowa is easily the best, most talented, in terms of recruiting purposes, class in-state that most observers that that cover recruiting have seen or, or can remember. It's just a really loaded class. So far, Iowa has secured commitments from Connor Colby, from Cedar Rapids Kennedy, Jaden Harrell, a linebacker. Colby's an offensive lineman. Harrell is a linebacker from Urbandale. Griffin Little, a defensive tackle from Bettendorf. Zach Tweet, an athlete from Story City. And most recently, Jeff Bowie, Defensive lineman from West Branch, obviously those positions can change. Colby is a four-star, offers from Ohio State, Michigan. He is a top – if he was uncommitted right now, you would hear – you would see story after story after story on this kid. He is a great get and somebody that you guys will hear more about as as this recruiting process goes on and the coaches are able to talk about him. But in terms of guys that are uncommitted in this class in state, you're going to want to look at um, Thomas Fedone. He is a tight end out of Council Bluffs, Lewis Central. He's teammates with Logan Jones, who committed to Iowa in the 2020 class. We have a story on Thomas. I talked to him last month. He is legit. He's a four-star had a really good under uh, underage I shouldn't say that, <laughs> underclassman combine in San Antonio last month. I'll give you his offer list. He has offers from, among others, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Georgia Tech, Iowa, Iowa State, Kansas State, LSU, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Old Miss, Missouri, Nebraska, Northwestern, Notre Dame. Oklahoma State, Penn State, Purdue, Tennessee, Texas A&M, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Obviously, he is highly regarded. He is a kind of a freakish athlete for a tight end. Um, So he is number one, I believe. He is the number one guy on Iowa's list right now in terms of in-state and followed closely by Brody Brecht, a wide receiver at Ankeny who Iowa's had in for junior days. And Iowa's had Fedona in for junior days as well. And he's a guy that was highly regarded and, uh, you know, on their board and a guy that uh, they're at Brecht. Let's, let's check out his offer list. Iowa, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Nebraska. Uh, interest from Michigan State, Minnesota, Northwestern, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin. He is a, uh, he's a guy Iowa certainly would love to have in the fold. And that would give them seven in-state kids. We can talk about the TJ Bowler's recruitment later. That's a hot social media message board topic for the day. I don't see whatever the reasons are there. And I don't know what they are. It just doesn't seem like a fit for either party. He's the number one ranked player in the state of defensive lineman slash linebacker at a Tiffin Clear Creek, Amana. I don't know what the story is there from you know, both sides, but there seems to be hurt feelings, whatever the case may be. I don't see that coming together, but it's recruiting and things change. So we'll see how things go there. Uh, 
looking down the list at other guys in this class. Those are obviously the two that are at the top of the list. Tyson Watson is a defensive end out of Michigan, who Iowa likes a lot, who's had in. Uh, if you look at our junior day, day stories, you can see any guys, any players that they're having in for junior days are guys that are high on their list. Uh, Keegan Johnson is an athlete out of Nebraska that they're very high on. Uh, they offered Cooper Dijon uh, out of Ida Grove, Iowa, as an athlete. They offered him at a junior day last month. Those are some names I'd throw out there as guys that you could see potentially commit in the near future or in the summer. And Willie Shaw's a running back out of Chicago they like. Ricky Parks is a running back out of Tampa Bay that they like. Oh, let's see here. Skylar Bell, a wide receiver out of Connecticut they like. Uh, Jalen Noel, a wide receiver out of Kansas City they like. Uh, they liked and, – and another guy, and a, you guys remember John Alt. Some of you older guys remember John Alt. He is a tight end slash offensive – potential offensive lineman out of Minnesota who Iowa has offered. Northwestern, I believe, offered him recently. He's another guy that I could see potentially committing here spring, summer. If you remember, Iowa had most of its class wrapped up last summer, and I would, I would, I would tend to think that they'll be on that same timeline again for this cycle, trying to get a lot of guys. And the summer's big. There's camp, there are camps. There's the tailgate. There are junior-type days. And then also in the spring, they have a lot of kids that come through, not only for the open practice, but also come through and watch practice as their schedule allows. So we'll get a lot more movement in terms of recruiting in the 21 class as we move through the spring and into early summer. Let's see, this thing is running long. I don't have a time on here, so I need to wrap this up soon. Spider Rico has hit me with a bunch of question, as, questions, as has J. G10. Is that JG? Are you JG Wentworth? JG Tenhawk uh, also has hit me with a, a number of questions here. Let me kind of skim over these and let's see. I won't try to spend too much time on these. I apologize. I'm getting to you guys last, but you got me the question last. So, so uh, we were told by the expert that the Hawks would be worse, a worse team losing Cook, Moss, and Moss, but the team is mentally tougher and more efficient on O&D? Why, why is that? It's a great question. Some of these questions are hard to answer and measure or quantify. It's just hard to, you know, it's chemistry. There are certain, you know, makeups of rosters, pers how personalities work, how skill sets piece together. There are so many things that are hard to predict and know how they're going to work out. I mean, I, there's, I, you can dig at this and say, well, Cook and Moss were selfish guys. They didn't play defense. They're gone. You would gladly have either one or both of those guys on the roster this year helping this team. Would that change things? Would that change makeup? Would, it certainly would change rotations. Would it change how much, you know, obviously the touches for Luca? It's just so hard to know, and it's a hard question to answer. I think you just appreciate each year for what it is, and maybe that's snowflake stuff, <laughs> and, and, you know, stuff that, you know, whatever, how. 
you're a snowflake, just say it, Cook and Moss were cancers. I'm not going to say that. I think both guys gave all they had to the program, and I think both, both guys tried as hard as they could. Different makeup this year. Enjoy this season because now the tendency is going to be, oh, man, this team, look at how connected this team is, the chemistry that next year is going to be even better. Final Four, National Championship. You don't know that. You don't know what the makeup of next year's team is going to be, the dynamics of next year's team, how guys mature, none of that stuff. Enjoy the season. Enjoy the wrestling season. Enjoy men's, ba- men's and women's basketball. Hopefully you enjoyed a 10-win season in football. Good time to be a Hawkeye right now. Enjoy what you have. I'll try to go through these quick here, Spider. Was, ho- was the Holiday Bowl simply one-off, or do you think the misdirection and other Ways BF used the run ball, run ball signal, a different move and different philosophy in the run game. I think it'll be incorporated. I really do. I think there, there's too much talent at this. I can't believe I'm saying that at the skill positions right now that Iowa can take advantage of that with speed. And that's what the off season's for. It's, it's for designing more, looking at what you did right, looking what worked what didn't work and coming up with ways to scheme. The, the basic philosophy is going to stay the same. This is Kirk Ferentz's program. The foundation will stay the same, but you can work off of that foundation and incorporate different aspects of other systems into your system. We saw that in the holiday bowl. We saw some of that against Minnesota uh, we saw some of that at Nebraska. I think then hopefully we'll see the next step in that development next season. Bigger loss, AJE or Worfs, and why? That's a great question. I'm going to say Epinesa, and the reason is not because I think he'll be a better NFL player. He was a better player here. It's because Iowa is in better position on its offensive line, particularly with Corey Cronk coming in, than Iowa's defensive line is. How either one of these guys will do in the pros, again, will depend on where they land, where they're drafted, system, what have you. Both are huge losses, though, obviously. Werfs was the offensive lineman of the year. AJ was a, you know just a, a dominant player who's – presence drew so much attention that it it helped Iowa's defense so much I don't think we can ever know but we will know next year but defensive line is a position I'm most concerned about this offseason outside of what we're going to get at quarterback just because of unknowns so I would say AJE just because of that if everyone comes back next year does Fran revert to playing 12 guys per game again or has he learned his learned that less is sometimes more that's, again, hard to predict. If I had to, he's going to go deeper into his rotation. He's going to use 10, 11 guys, especially if guys are experienced and he believes they've earned time. It's just kind of his system. But maybe there will be nights where he shortens the rotation if things are working well with the shorter rotation. So, no, I kind of waffled on that question, but I really don't have an answer. I'll have to see more what the roster looks like next year. If everyone comes back, are we favorites to win the big 10 title? Well, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's going to depend on who comes back on other teams as well. There's some really good young players in this league, 
But if everybody comes back, I got to think Iowa's among the favorites. How about that? Now, J.G. Wentworth, 10 Hawk. Try to zip through his questions here. Almost done here. God, this is going long. I apologize, guys. This is probably longer than you wanted to hear. Cut me off wherever. Who is currently in the running for Big Ten Coach of the Year and who currently has the edge to win it? This is a week-to-week thing. Pat Chambers, in my mind, right now. If we're, if we're voting today, my vote goes to Pat Chambers. I think you have Fran in that discussion. I think you have Brad Underwood in that discussion. I think you have Steve Peichel in that discussion. And Mark Turgeon may be on the outside, but I think this is a wide open race. If I'm choosing a favorite today, February 10th at 12.18 p.m., I'm going to go with Pat Chambers by a nose. But there's more left in the race, and there are plenty of other candidates nipping at his heels. For fun, if everyone is healthy, who would win a three-point contest between J-Bo, Wieskamp, and Frederick? If we're just saying a three-point contest like the traditional three-point contest, no defense, you know, clock-timed, I'm going to go with Bohannon. I, he's, and that's no disrespect to the other guys, but I've seen a bigger sample size of Bohannon. And maybe his is more designed to be clutch. But all three are just outstanding three-point shooters. But I'll go with Bohannon. I'll go with the old guy here. Anything on the basketball recruiting front has been pretty quiet regarding the 21 class and beyond. Touched on that already, JG. Um, Listen earlier to the podcast. Skip around. Garza is pretty much a lock for first-team All-Big Ten, the front-runner for Big Ten Player of the Year. Where do you think Joe W. will land, first or second team? Partially, it's going to be where Iowa lands. If Iowa can push into that top four, but the, the, it's really, it'll be really hard to put two guys on the first team, even with the statistics, because of how many players. I mean, you look at Maryland. If Maryland wins the league, you're, you're looking at, you know, Cowan and Sticks on that team. Does both of those guys make it? Does one make it? You got to think that, you know, I'm thinking about, Lamar Stevens is is probably a lock on that first team. Um, I know my mind is – I had my Big Ten stats up earlier, darn it, and I, uh, I clicked off of them. Let me pull those back up. But I, I'm going to – without even doing that, I'm going to say Weez can't – Weezy is a second-team All-Big Ten pick this year. I just think guys like to spread – voters like to spread around the love a little bit and will probably – have him on the second team. I th- certainly think he's deserving of first team. I'm just not sure he'll make it. Uh, and then Mopkins Hawk, can we get some updates on how the future of Iowa basketball recruits are going? Again, I touched on this earlier, just to recap, not a lot of scholarships available. Peyton Sanford from Waukee is the main guy in 2021 right now. Fran is very adamant about going out and seeing guys in in person with his own eyes. We'll see that this spring, AAU, summer AAU season. More names will pop up then for 22 and beyond. If everyone returns next year, is Iowa the Big Ten? We had this question, are they the favorite? They are among the favorites. Are they ranked top 10 nationally? Hard to say. It's going to depend on what comes back 
nationally and in the Big Ten, certainly top 25. Beyond that, we'd have to see. But with everybody back, I would think top 10 nationally is certainly a possibility. And then among the Big Ten favorites. So that thing lasted a really long time. I apologize for that if it went too long. If you enjoyed my babbling and answering of your questions that long, let me know. Feedback, feedback on this podcast would be greatly appreciated uh, via the message board, Twitter, um, you know, paper airplanes, smoke signals, Morse code, however you want to get them to me. Certainly, we'll run this back again. We'll, we'll shoot up for Wednesday mornings on these. I think midweek we usually record the, uh, the Hawkeye Nation regular podcast on Mondays. And then Bruner and I try to shoot for end of the week. So maybe middle of the week here for this podcast will be a good, good spot for it. And then we also have Friday night, the Big Hour podcast on KGYM. Still working on Nate Stanley as a guest for that. Haven't heard back from him. But let's put an end to this one. Thank you for listening. Thank you for patronizing Hawkeye Nation. And we will talk to you soon. And now it's our family-friendly flooring sale. Save up to $1,000 and take advantage of our 24-month special financing on our stain-resistant carpet and stylish luxury vinyl at Flooring America. Sale ends soon, so come in today.